the song that David led about great things God has done for us. And one of the great things he's done is for allowing us to be here. Thank you, Ben, for leading our thoughts in the Lord's Supper and as well as in uh, our, our, our giving back to God because he has blessed us so abundantly. And he deserves all of our worship and our praise. And let's be uh, serious about that as we worship him today. Well, in the reading that Joseph just read for us in Esther chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, the children of Israel are getting ready to return from Babylonian captivity and rebuild Jerusalem. Cyrus has given the instruction that the temple would be rebuilt um, and that the house of God would be rebuilt. And as we go on in, chapter, in Ezra, we get into chapters 7 and 8, Ezra is going to be tasked with a significant responsibility. Artaxerxes is now king, and he has uh, given a large treasure to Ezra and given Ezra the charge of taking that treasure back to Jerusalem. As they build the temple, they're going to need lots of, uh, of gold and silver for the decoration of that temple. And in Ezra chapter 8, in verse 24, beginning... Ezra's going to uh, divvy that out to people to carry back in this company of people that Ezra is gathering to take the treasure back to Jerusalem. In Ezra chapter 8, look at verse 24. And I separated 12 of the leaders of the priest, Sarabah, Hashabiah, and, the ten, and 10 of their brethren with them. And I weighed out for them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which is the king and his counselors, and his princes, and all Israel who were present had offered. And I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth 1,000 drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious gold. And he's weighing that out to them as they get ready to take this journey to Jerusalem. And that would be a journey that would be uh, fraught with challenges. No, no doubt there would be uh, thieves and robbers who would love to catch this band of Israelites returning with, weighed down with these treasures. They would have been in a lot of danger as they made that journey. Go back to verse 21 of chapter 8 and notice some of the concern in Ezra's uh, voice here as he it, it gives us an idea of what he's thinking. In verse 21 of Ezra chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and for our little ones and all our possessions. They're going back with their families and they have all these possessions. They're a prime target for a thief and a band of robbers to come and overtake them. He's concerned about that and he's praying to God. But look at verse 22. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Ezra said, I would have really liked to have the army with me. I would really like to have those soldiers on horseback protecting us, but I was ashamed to do that because I had been saying all this time that God will be with you if you serve Him. 
but he's against you if you don't. Ezra said, I would have liked to have them, but I was ashamed because I had, been, I had spoken. Ezra had been making some claims about trusting in God and about serving Him. And when the rubber met the road, he couldn't back down from that, could he? He had to live up to those claims because he had been saying what he had been saying for so long. I want to tell you there's a parallel with us today as well. When we claim to be a Christian, when we claim to be a follower of Christ, when we claim to be a disciple of Christ, that carries with it ideas and concepts that we need to be living up to in our lives. When we make a claim to the world around us that we're Christians, then that sets the level of expectation, even among those who are in the world, of how we're living our lives. And I want to tell you, when we don't meet up to that expectation that even the world has of us, we ought to be ashamed. Just as Ezra was ashamed not to live out what he had been claiming, we today, as Christians, need to be ashamed if we don't live out what the claim to be a Christian entails to those who are around us. I want to tell you this morning, there's four points that I want to look at, and we could look at a lot of different points, but I just want to look at four this morning of Things that when we claim to be a Christian, we ought to be ashamed if we don't line up to that standard that others would hold for us. And one of those is, after claiming to be a Christian, we ought to be ashamed if we're trusting in uncertain riches. People of the world are no doubt familiar with some of the concepts that the Bible teaches about riches and possessions. For example, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There are people in the world around us who realize the passing and fleeting transient nature of possessions. How does it look to the world around us if we're concerned mostly with our financial prosperity? And they see that as a priority in our life. Others in the world may, be may remember and be uh, familiar with the verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 beginning. Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. There are folks in the world who are, who are familiar with this idea of laying up treasure in heaven. And maybe it's the bumper sticker that is on cars that may, people have on their car that says, don't let the car fool you, my treasure's in heaven. I joked with Nikki about some of the old junk cars that we drove around in. I wanted to get one of those bumper stickers, sort of tongue-in-cheek, don't let the car fool you, my treasure's in heaven. The world around us knows that when we claim to be Christians, that we can't, we're not going to be trusting in the earthly possessions. We must make sure that we are familiar with passages like 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through, with many sorrows. Do we live this in our lives? I want to tell you, after claiming to be a Christian, if we don't live the principles in this verse, then I want to tell you we should be ashamed. 
after claiming to be a Christian, if we're not content with food and raiment, we ought to be ashamed. If we're not content with the necessities that God has given us, when He's given us so much more, has been reminded us of this morning. If we're not content with what God has given us, we ought to be ashamed. What are we showing to the world around us? What are we showing the world around us in times of financial uncertainty? Maybe it's in our own personal financial uncertainty. Maybe we're in between jobs, or maybe the financial situation in our family isn't what we would like it to be. What do we show to the world around us? Do we show dismay? Do we show a lack of trust in those times? What about on a broader scale when America's economic condition is not solid and robust? Do we show concern then, or do we show that we're trusting in uncertain riches? Or do we show what Paul says here, we need to trust in the, unser- in the, to, in the living God, in verse, as he goes on there in verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, that ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Are we doing this? Are we trusting in God? And can the world around us see that we're trusting in God rather than these uncertain riches? In Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 25, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, beginning, notice what Jesus said. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you of ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Brethren, do we trust God? And are we displaying this trust to those who are around us? That we're not trusting in our bank account or how much we have stockpiled, but we're trusting in God. Do you have enough to eat today? That's enough, isn't it? God said he'll take care of us. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Worry about today. The future's uncertain in a lot of different ways. I want to tell you, we need to be trusting in God, not in our uncertain riches. And I know that there are a lot of uncertainties in the world around us today. And a lot of folks who are concerned about what the future holds. But let us make sure that we're trusting in God in spite of all of this. God will take care of us. 
And let's show that, that trust as we live our lives around those who are around us. I tell you, we ought to be ashamed as Christians if we're trusting in uncertain riches. The thoughts that we're looking at tonight are not connected in any way, or this morning the thoughts are not connected. And then another thought, though, I want to think about is if we're not controlling our tongue. If we're making a profession to be a Christian and we're not controlling our tongue, I want to tell you that should cause us to be ashamed. Because the world around us has expectations for those who are Christians that they're going to speak in certain ways and not speak in certain ways if they profess to be a Christian. Perhaps the world around us knows concepts like are presented in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. I want to tell you, if you profess to be a Christian, to those who are in the world, that comes with the expectation that you're not going to use filthy language. And perhaps you've had folks who are around you who were careful not to talk about certain things around you because they knew you didn't talk like that. Maybe they watched your mouth because they didn't know you didn't use language like that. We had a gentleman come up to the, the peach stand one day this week, and he, about, he started to use a word that language all the time, but he knew because the kids were around. He knew. He knew. He wasn't concerned about using that language all the time, but he knew that there were certain places you didn't talk like that. And I want to tell you that if you say, claim to be a Christian, that folks will understand that you don't use language like that. But do we live up to that expectation? Do we tell the filthy jokes? Do we laugh at the filthy jokes when they're told? Do we use innuendo and suggestive speech? Are we engaged in filthy communication? We need to be careful about that. Because the world around us has expectations that a Christian's not going to talk like that. And if we're not living up to those expectations, I want to tell you, we ought to be ashamed. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 says, For I fear, lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would. And that I, you shall, that I shall uh, be found unto you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envies, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. Paul said, I'm afraid that I'm, when I get there, I'm going to find that you've been backbiting. You've been talking behind people's backs and running them down. You've been engaged in whisperings, gossip, and slander, and whispering about people. I want to tell you, brethren, if we're engaged in that, we ought to be ashamed because others notice that. And maybe it's in the church and maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in the neighborhood. Wherever it may be, we've got to be on guard that we're not engaged in these sins of the tongue because people are watching. People are noticing. In Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 20, we'll be here in a few weeks, Lord willing, in our Wednesday night class. It is just one of many places where another sin of the tongue is mentioned. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That was the expectation of the children of Israel. I want to tell you that expectation has not changed in the New Testament, that we need to be holding God's name in reverence. We need not be taking God's name in vain. And yet so many people in the world today are, and sadly Christians are as well. And maybe we don't come out and use the, name, the Lord's name directly, 
but we'll use some variation thereof that is meant to evoke the same meaning. People say, Lordy, or golly, or geez. They're using God's name in vain, a, a shortened, abbreviated version. have to say it anymore. We use the same idea, taking his name in vain. And we don't even have to say it anymore. We use letters, OMG. OMG this, OMG that. We're taking the Lord's name in vain. Our speech is not living up to the claim that we make when we say that we're Christians, that we're going to reverence and honor God's name. We need to be careful about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, here's another sin that we need to be careful about in our tongue as we talk about how we use our tongue. And are we living up to the profession that we make as Christians? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, Neither murmur ye as also some of them murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Do we murmur? Do we complain? Do we grumble? The children of Israel were poster children for that, weren't they? And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we can be just like them, murmuring and complaining about what God has given us. God had given the children of Israel so much and delivered them from their captivity and was providing for their needs, and yet they complained every step of the way about what they had and what God had done for them. It wasn't enough. It wasn't what they wanted. Are we like that today? Do we murmur and complain on the job about the boss, about the paycheck? Do we murmur and complain, kids, about the food that we get to eat for dinner? Don't want that. I'd rather have something else. Do we have to eat that? Are we murmuring and complaining? Adults, are we murmuring and complaining? We got leftovers tonight, what? You mean I got to eat the leftover steak? Nobody ought to have to eat the leftover steak. What a, what a ripoff. Are we murmuring and complaining? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, gives us our goal. Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Are we watching our tongue? Are we determined that everything we speak will administer grace unto the hearers? I'm going to tell you, that's a high bar, and it's a bar that I failed at. But it's a bar we need to be shooting for because those who are around us are watching how we use our tongue. And we ought to be ashamed if we do not control our tongues like we should. I want to tell you that we also ought to be ashamed if we're not dressing as we should. You know, the world has an expectation for those who profess to be godly, that they'll dress in certain ways. That's an expectation that the world has. I'll tell you, if we're not living up to that, we ought to be ashamed. In Proverbs chapter 7, in Proverbs chapter 7, there is a woman who is very ungodly. And she is described here by an interesting characteristic in Proverbs chapter 7, beginning of verse 6. For, I looked, for at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner. And he went the way of her, to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. Subtle of heart. The proverb writer says he could look out his window 
And he could see someone, and he knew what she was about. How? Was she wearing a sign? Was she wearing a sign? Prostitute? Didn't have a sign, did she? Didn't have a sign. She didn't have an entourage of people around her pointing at her and say, here's a prostitute, everybody. How did he know that she was a prostitute? By how she was dressed. The way that we dress presents an image, and it presents an idea. He knew what she was about by how she dressed. I want to tell you that the way that we dress tells what we're about as well. When you go out at lunch during the week, have you ever sat at your table and looked at the people around you and you know what kind of job they do based on how they're dressed, don't you? You're sitting there and someone comes in and scrubs, you think, well, there's someone, there's a nurse. The nurses are here. Some guys come in with their coat and tie on, well, here's some businessmen are here. A guy comes in wearing all white. I think he's a show-off. He's a painter, and he wants everybody to know that he doesn't get paint on his clothes while he's painting. I think that's why they wear white. They're showing off. If I was a painter, I'd be covered head to toe in it. There's a painters there. They're here in white. Maybe a guy comes in all covered in white dust. You go, well, that's a drywall guy there. He's been out working. We know what people are about based on how they dress. Have you ever been out at the store? Seen someone come in with a dress and a bonnet on? Do you know what that person's about? That person is a religious person. Now, I'm not saying we have to dress that way, but we know what they're about based on how they dress. Can people look at us and know what we're about based on how we dress? They should be. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 3 beginning. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair or braiding of the hair, or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. It says women here need to be careful about how they dress. And the focus is not on the outward, but it's on the inward. I'm not drawing attention to myself by what I put on or what I don't put on. I'm not drawing attention to myself with that, but I need to be drawing attention to myself by how I am on the inside. And this, is, this tells what I'm in this manner in those who are around me, because notice in verse, at the end here in verse 5, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves this way. Women who trust in God adorn themselves in a certain way. Just like we said, the harlot adorned herself in a certain way. Just like we said, the painter adorns himself in a certain way. The businessman adorns himself in a certain way. The Christian adorns himself in a certain way because it says something about us. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 beginning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I will therefore that, holy men, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. 
I want to tell you that the way that we dress, women are talked about here, but I want to tell you it's women and men. The way that we dress says something about our holiness. And just like we talked about the fact that you can sit at the lunch table and see what people are about, what kind of jobs they have, I want to tell you the people that we're about every day, the people that we're around, the way that we dress is saying something to them. And there may be people that we may never meet in person face to face. We may never know their name. But I'm going to tell you, the way that I dress is saying something to them about me and my priorities. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a sobering thought, and I'm going to tell you that there's some shame that needs to be associated with the way that we dress, and that shame doesn't exist in our society today, that women are to adorn themselves with shamefacedness. There's a shame with exposing ourselves. There's no shame in our society today. Clothes are meant for covering up, not showing, seeing how much you can show. Now, the makers of clothes expressly will say, well, look how it accentuates this or accentuates that. Look how it shows this and, doesn't, and shows that or how much it exposes. But there's shame associated with that. God says it's shameful. Look in Isaiah chapter 47, verse 3. Isaiah 47, verse 3, God presents a theme here and an idea that's universal throughout the Scriptures. And Isaiah 47, verse 3, Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame will be seen. Nakedness is a shame. And instead of trying to see how much we can expose, we need to see how much we can cover because it says something about us. And if we're not covering ourselves like we should, we should be ashamed because even the world, has expectations for Christians in this area. And then finally, I want to tell you that we need to be ashamed when we claim to be a Christian and we don't demonstrate the correct priorities. The world around us knows that being a Christian demands certain things of you, certain priorities, certain commitments. In fact, that's why a lot of people aren't Christians today because they're not willing to make the sacrifice. Jesus said that, right? There are going to be people who are unwilling to make the sacrifice, to pay the price. And if I claim to be a Christian and yet I demonstrate priorities that aren't what they should, I want to tell you I should be ashamed of that. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, with all thy mind. The world knows this. The world knows that when we claim to be a Christian that our lives are devoted to Christ and to God and that we need to be loving Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Are we displaying that? In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, beginning. Mark 4, verse 18. Maybe we're displaying this. Mark 4, verse 18. And they that are, which are sown among thorns such, are such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. You've seen this, haven't you? I've seen this in the lives of those that are around us, that the desire for the worldly things choke out the spiritual, the desire for the new car, the bigger house, the better job, the race to have more and more chokes out the word. And slowly over time, that person dies spiritually because their priorities have shifted. The world is full of distractions. 
And the devil is happy if he can distract us. We've got to make sure that our priorities remain what they should be. We look at those who are around us and we can see it clearly in their lives, but can we see it in our own lives? Have we allowed distractions in my life, in your life? Have we allowed those distractions to choke out the word? We need to make sure that we do not. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 talks about one of those areas where we have to have a priority, and that is in the assembling of ourselves because God wants us to be together for the strength that we can gain from one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Are we? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Or have we become distracted? We could go in a lot of different directions this morning. But I think we need to consider these very carefully. When I claim to be a Christian, just like when Ezra claimed to be a follower of God, there are certain things that ride along with that claim. There are certain things that others expect because I make that claim. Ezra had been preaching, you know, you trust God, you don't have to worry about things. He'll take care of you. And so he was ashamed to ask for that army. I am a Christian. I'll tell you, when I profess that, there are things that come along with that, and I ought to be ashamed when I don't live up to those expectations that those around me would have. And those around me would expect that I would be trusting in God, not in uncertain riches, that my focus is on spiritual things, that I'm going to be controlling the way that I talk. I'm going to be dressing in a way that professes holiness and godliness, and that I'm going to be demonstrating those correct priorities in my life. What about you? Have you spoken? Have you made the claim? Have you taken on the name Christian? Are you living up to that expectation today? If you're not, please consider your life, and if there's any way we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.